You are listening to The Sauna Show, a podcast that explores new ways to combat modern life and reclaim your health and vitality. We connect you with real people who are doing epic things by their own design. My name is Sebastian Mirau and I am the co-CEO of Clearlight Saunas International and a passionate entrepreneur and health enthusiast as well. I'm sitting down with scientists, holistic health practitioners and change makers in the wellness space who are making an impact to talk about all things detox, health and happiness. Hey everyone, today we're speaking to one of my neighbors, Sean Tonnet. He is a psychotherapist with a focus on creating strong relationship. He has a really long track record of being amazing, of helping people in their relationships of all sorts, from private relationships, one-on-one to one, as well as larger relationships in groups and uh, in commercial settings as well. So uh, well-rounded that way. And um, he's especially focused on attachment theory. Johannes, have you ever heard about attachment theory before? I actually have not. I mean, this whole topic of relationships, you know, be it friends, family, or, you know, your partner is obviously, you know, it's really relevant. And I think it, you know, it's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff to learn and there are lots of famous authors and, you know, lots of frameworks that you can actually use. But, you know, this, this theory itself, um, detachment theory, I have not. So I'm actually dying to learn more about that myself, uh, <laughs> Sean and you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, one thing that I took away is that, you know, we basically fall into different um, camps of, of, of how, how we attach to, to you know, a partner in, in a relationship of any sort. And so one is, um, if, if there's an issue, um, you want to move closer to, to the person that, that you have a relationship with and, and that, where the issue is. So you, you want to feel secure that everything is all right. You know, so he describes that quite, quite a bit. And, and, you know, I relate to that. I know people like that. Um, and then there's another one that if there's an issue uh, within a relationship, uh, there are other people that, that actually want want to avoid. So they, they, they want to go away and want to have distance and want to do their own thing rather than, you know, sticking with the other person where there's a conflict. And then some people react really anxiously, uh, which has also a particular characteristic. So I found it was so relatable because, yeah, man, you know, we, we're all different and we all fit into one of, of the observations that people that come up with these um, with different uh, theories uh, observe. Absolutely fascinating, and I think there's so much potential for all of us to implement this into our daily lives. And let's face it, it's a, it's a lifelong challenge to remastering relationships. Hey? It's nothing that you just learn by, you know, going through an online course, so to speak. But I think really getting the fundamentals right, and you know, listening to someone like Sean and other people out there who really understood it, I think is going to have a powerful, a powerful effect to all of us in our daily lives. So, uh, big yes. thank you for you both to having this conversation. Yeah, yeah, anytime. It was a lot of fun. Sean is a great guy. So without further ado, enjoy my conversation with Sean Tonnet. So welcome, Sean, on the show. So nice to have you. Thank you, Sebastian. Good to be here. Yeah. So you are a psychotherapist specializing in relationship mm -hmm. for many years. Yeah. How did you get actually into it and what do you do nowadays? Uh, that's that's a great question. Um, I think that before I want to start, I just want to do a privilege check um, because, you know, we're two white heterosexual males. <laughs> that's it. And, and I'm pretty sure that there's going to be pretty diverse from what you've described culture of mm. people who might be listening into the podcast. And I'm just wanting to put out to all the listeners uh, that, you know, if I say something 
or miss you in some way because uh, of your culture or your gender or your sexuality. Uh, certainly not an intention, but you know, I'm really, really clear that as a white heterosexual male, I'm privileged and uh, it's likely that you and I uh, will be heteronormative and probably will say some things that might miss people out there. So yeah, just really acknowledging that. Oh, good on you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's important. Thanks for doing hey? that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so me, um, well, my background's quite interesting because I was in the police force for 12 years and uh, I left with uh, undiagnosed PTSD mm. and it was a really uh, difficult and complex time for me um, leaving the police and, you know, I was addicted to marijuana, I was <laughs> in trauma, so, you know, I had a lot of, uh, I was very rigid, I was very closed up emotionally, and uh, I was in a bit of trouble. Mm. So coming out of that and um, going on a, I guess, a self-love odyssey in some ways uh, <laughs> to um, discover more about my humanity and how I am as a man, and ultimately um, what it means to be in a functional uh, and healthy relationship has been, I guess, my life journey and quest since that time. Um, and one of the things that's been really um, significant for me in that is um, the recovery, what I'd kind of call post-traumatic growth rather than post-traumatic stress. I mean, mm -hmm. it has and was very stressful. Um, but I think that the um, strategies and the actions and the um, um, kind of connections with uh, amazing thinkers and people around me has been really significant in my wellness. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I, uh, at some stage in that journey, um, discovered through my own therapy, really, what was going on for me was that I was, when I first moved up to this area from Sydney, where I was a police officer, I was, uh, I spent about 18 months, I landed on a permaculture farm. And, uh, and that was really um, amazing experience for me. And uh, and I spent a lot of time aligning my chakras <laughs> and doing the very Byron thing yeah. and, uh, and kind of getting in contact with, um, I guess, my relationship with God or a universal force or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And that was, that was wonderful. It was a really profound and important experience. But what I noticed is that I was still um, terrible at relationships with women and... Um, and um, I realized or I, I in my searching and my journeying and my and my work I came across um, some great thinkers who talked a lot about this idea that Eastern philosophy is a wonderful way to make contact with the kind of universal divine um, and Western psychology is a really great philosophy for being uh, and understanding ourselves in relationship with another person <laughs> and so it was that time I really kind of endeavored and and dived into understanding myself through more of a western psychology and really that was a profoundly important journey for me in being better at kind of you know I and another person yeah. uh, and uh, opened me up then to um, actually wanting to train and study um, a psychotherapy um, and it was um, from that point, really, when I 
started the relationship I'm still in with my wife. Um, mm. We've been together for 17 years. Oh, awesome. Um, yep, indeed. And, uh, and, and, and started to have a family that I really kind of refined my work into working with relationships. So you got together with your wife after you had done all this work on yourself? Yeah. Is that, w would you say that there's one way that is easier than the other in terms of figuring yourselves out? Like, is it better to stay as an individual for a while outside of re relationship to sort out the relationship to yourself before you then bring someone else in? Or is there someone else sometimes actually a really good catalyst to then figure things out and bring new ideas and more fun, maybe, if, you know, grounding in it and, and go that way? Yeah. Oh, look, I, I mean, I think it can happen concurrently, mm. but all of the, the stuff that I love about couples work and relationships generally is that all of the research, the modern research, contemporary research talks about the fact that we learn about love from the outside in. And so we, uh, we can do emotional maintenance uh, is, happens in collaborative relationships with you know, another person. So it's, it's so significant when we think about those two ideas that we learn about love from the outside in mm. and that we have emotional maintenance when we're doing it in collaboration with another person. So this idea that um, you know, we're talking before um, with some of the staff here around uh, cultures and communities that collaborate together and, and I guess the lower rates of mental health compared to uh, a con contemporary Western culture where uh, we've, we've focused on individualism mm. and the high rates of mental health from that. So more and more we're returning back to the idea that um, couples, if I just kind of keep it in that silo, mm -hmm. but of course relationships can be much broader than that, uh, are, are a profoundly important place for our wellness when we're doing it well. And, uh, and all of the research shows that it's, you know, it's the best anti-aging vitamin you know people live longer people are less likely to have mental health problems when they're in a functional relationship mm. yeah so back to your question <laughs> um i think it happens concurrently because i do think that sometimes you know one of the kind of indicators why relationships can struggle is mm. that um you know i may not be taking seriously the kinds of issues that are in the relationship or maybe i don't have the capacity or the resources to create the change that's needed to help the relationship to flourish. And I think when that's happening, it is important that people are um, doing the work on themselves, uh, whether that's through talking therapies or whatever way you want to do it, really. There's lots of ways to learn about yourself. Yeah. But doing that work concurrently can really help a relationship to uh, flourish and thrive. Right. Yeah. Makes sense? Makes makes a lot of sense. Yeah, cool. And and I think, you know, everyone has seen or has had relationships and has observed, you know, what, what's going on and yeah. probably has their own therapy uh, theory of what, how, you know, yeah. <laughs> how to go, go about it and how to, I guess, you know, grow up or become just that, you know, when, when, when you're a teenager, you're quite is volatile, yeah? Like, you know, you go in all the different direction, explore all sorts of things. And then as you grow older and, and get in, into your 20s th there's much more mm, continuity happening and, and less interest of like going in all the different direction exploring everything uh, within a relationship um, you know with relationships in general or just with life and then eventually that in my mind any anyway i've observed that then people stick to each other 
sometimes in a way that people think, I wonder why they're still together. This doesn't feel <laughs> great. And other times, like, yeah, they found each other with 20 and they're still together. Like, is there any theory that would say you can make it work with anyone? It's really about working on the relationship. It's not so much what type of individual is together with another t type of individual. It's yeah. actually the work that happens between them. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There's yeah. lots of theories, but there's a couple that are, are particularly strong. And again, I just would want to emphasize what we're talking about is like, you know, a, a classic kind of Western model of two people living together. Um, and I appreciate that culturally that might be different around the world. Um, and look, one of the primary theories of, <clears throat> I'm going to cough, excuse me for a tick. That's right. <coughs> one of the primary uh, theories of relationships uh, is around attachment theory. Okay. Which has been around forever. It's like it's John Balby kind of first... Um, talked about and did the research into attachment theory in the mm. 1940s oh, right. uh, after World War II and looking at orphaned children. And, uh, uh, and Mary Ainsworth did very significant um, study into attachment theory in the 60s and 70s. Um, and the I'll come back and talk a mm. bit about that if you'd like me yeah, to. But the cool. other part around attachment theory or the other part around kind of sustainable relationships that's really fundamental, this one sucks for lots of, if I'm being stereotypical men, mm -hmm. uh, is that um, around emotions and the importance of emotions uh, in how we build, um, I guess, a bridge to each other uh, as a couple. Um, so, yeah, would you like me to talk a little bit about those? Go for the emotions. Go for the emotions? Okay, <laughs> cool. Um, well, emotionally, well, I mean, I guess what we know about emotions, and this is uh, Susan, Johnson. uh, Susan Johnson's term hmm. or phrase that I'm going to use, um, that emotions are a sharp, smart, intelligent force that basically organize and help us understand everything that's happening in our lives. Um, we are taking on about 200,000 stimuli every microsecond. And when that comes into our brain, the, f the thing that organises the, the, those stimulus that we're having um, is emotions. And so we do emotions first. Uh, and that is so significant because of how emotions uh, are part of our survival and they're part, a really important part of our uh, parts of our brain that help us survive in the world, like the fight, flight, freeze systems of mm -hmm. the brain. So emotions become incredibly significant when we realize that we're really hardwired as human beings to respond to emotions. I mean, you and I are eye gazing at the moment mm. and we're watching each other's facial expressions. Yeah. And if there was something that I was doing or saying that didn't match what my face was um, conveying, you would rely on my facial expressions uh, to make sense or to trust whether what I'm doing is you know, right for you, right. not necessarily the words. Um, and the other important thing around that is tone of voice. Mm -hmm. So emotions are so important in how we build something like attachment theory talks about in terms of security and safety. Mm -hmm. um, and so there's six primary emotions that are all about our survival and the and the primary emotions are um, sadness joy anger and i'll come back and talk about that because uh you know there's all sorts of different kinds of anger but i'll i'll mm. explain that in a tick disgust which is linked with bitterness so you can imagine when we were 
you know, uh, um, walking around in the wild, being nomadic, if we picked something up and it had a bitter taste, it would be a, a really important emotion for us to know, don't eat mm. that. Mm. Surprise, you want that one when there's a big bear running at you. Um, and uh, fear. I think I did six there. You did? Um, yeah, cool. Yeah. And again, like, you know, pretty important emotion, fear for survival. So when you think about the fact that those six primary emotions make up our survival mechanisms and, and how we do ourselves as human beings, it's a massive part of why there's seven billion of us on the planet, because we respond to each other's uh, primary emotions. And we are super hardwired around caring for each other and looking out for each other in those. Mm -hmm. um, when we think about little ones, and if our children are showing us any of these primary emotions, if they're showing us fear, mm -hmm. or they're showing us sadness, or they're showing us joy, we usually really want to get in there and, and either uh, help them celebrate the experience or help them organize their feelings. So it's such a critical part. If you think about emotions and how it helps us organize our experience, how it helps us um, survive and then we take that into the adult world and that when we're able to share emotions in a functional relationship that helps couples um, build a bridge to each other that's a deep space for for intimacy and I'll give you a really simple example partner A has left the towel on the floor partner B is losing their shit over it <laughs> why haven't you picked that towel up yeah, and the other person goes, what do you mean? I picked it up. I only picked it up yesterday and it wasn't me, whatever, right? And mm. so then couples can get into that kind of conflict cycle. Mm. You know, usually it's a defensive and criticism cycle. Um, and, but really what emotions can do there is when one partner has the resources or the capacity to be able to say, hey, listen, you know, I'm, I'm hurt and I need support. Mm. Uh, and the other partner is able to say something like, yeah, I, I can feel kind of uh, sad, mm. Uh, and maybe there's a little bit of fear there around, you know, a sense that they might be going to get attacked or whatever it mm. is, right? So mm. the, the, the landscape being basically having an emotional conversation, then the towel becomes irrelevant. It's more about how two people then are able to meet each other mm -hmm. with more intimacy in their differences. It's like, I have a difference around who picks the towel up. You have a difference around who picks the towel up. If we stay in the story of the towel, we're probably going to end up in disconnection when we can find a way to talk about how we're feeling emotionally and build a competency as a couple we're likely to have more intimacy even in quite significant differences because we're hardwired to respond to the emotional world of each mm. other does that make sense what i hear yeah. you saying is that um there are words and you know and, and you can talk a lot about words and and we, we will pick up on uh, facial expression as well at the same time as yeah. tone, tone of voice and that gives us a more complete pictures of what uh, picture what's happening but then to me what you're saying is emotions is a really um, it has has a really strong push of what's really going on in that that person so it's a very loud language well, really true language that comes from that that conveys so much more than what those three things that i just mentioned could could bring about so when you really connect with to your emotions and bring that across people get that, that's sort of like the shortcut rather than the scenic route that might not feel, get anywhere if you just talk it all through and talk and talk and talk but if you actually bring the emotions in it then it cuts right to the chase where you actually want to go 
Yeah, look, I think that's a, a reasonable summary. And, and <laughs> Thanks. I, yeah, and let me help shape it a bit because yes. perhaps what I was saying was a bit all over the place, so forgive me. Mm. Um, it, in context to what we do around emotions and relationships, it, what we're doing is constantly passing messages between each other through our facial expressions and our tone of voice. And we're making up what that meaning is if, say, for instance, I'm scowling at you, <laughs> which I'm not doing right now, um, you're likely to kind of interpret that as, you know, uh-oh, this could be a little bit dangerous or something. And you're having an emotional response to that. And so in couples, when they're perhaps not using emotional language to help each other understand what they're feeling, the risk is that they, you know, rely on those facial expressions and the tone of voice to then make sense of you know what they think is happening with their partner mm -hmm. now when we convey that into actual words what tends to happen from that place is that we get caught in stories around the five things couples always fight about are sex money time parenting and mess Mess meaning like tidying up. Yeah, like oh mess, wow, yeah. really? That's it. But really, what's really yeah. going on, Sebastian? Mm. What's really going on for couples is a much more intimate and deeper and older emotional experience around trust or support or a fear of being loved or a fear of not being loved. You know, mm. uh, um, you know, sadness of will I be supported here? You know, there's such a rich emotional landscape that often drives the way we end up conveying messages through facial expressions and tone of voice and also how we end up fighting about the story mm. of things that are happening in our lives. Mm. So what we functional and capable couples are really building a resource um, between them, so as individuals, but also between them to convey a different narrative which is about their emotional world. And when I use that example around the towel, mm. you and I could fight forever around, you know, who didn't plug the <laughs> recording device in properly mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this morning. Mm. Or we could talk about how we felt around what yeah. happened with that. And right. what that will do is activate parts of our brain that are very ancient, all about evolution, and that we are actually hardwired to care for each other when we're using particular emotional language. Just like when you think about your children and how you would respond to them when they're showing you some of those primary emotions. <laughs> mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Mm. So such an important part for couples is then building a, um, a language. So, you know, a, a capacity to make sense of their internal world and a language to be able to convey that. Now with couples, what's really tricky is that getting, getting uh, I know with my partner, mm. you know, what I do is I'm fast, you know, I'm quite fiery and I'm fast. And, and you know, one of the really big journeys for couples is, is learning how to slow things down and to actually, you know, take a breath and take some time to actually, uh, you know, reflect on what is it that I'm actually feeling here and how mm -hmm. is it that we can find a way to, to connect around that experience rather than disconnect around it. Mm. Yeah. So um, let me talk to you a bit about attachment and how they work together with emotions. Would that be... Yeah, that would be great. To do? Yes. Cool. Um, so attachment theory is 
I mean, I'm really dig attachment theory because it's um, parallels basically what we know about neurobiology and how the brain works. And so that's why it's such an interesting and popular theory at the moment, even though it's been around for a long time. And in, in a nutshell, what happens in attachment theory is that when, say for instance, um, I mean, the parts of the brain that form that are all about our survival, they form from about naught to seven years old. Mm -hmm. And again, if we think about what your children show you when they're younger, they show you all of those survival things, including those emotions. They show you when they're tired, when they're hungry, when they're scared, um, you know, uh, when they are fearful, when they're joyful, when they're angry. So there's all those kind of primary emotions. Mm. They're great at showing you that. But if you <laughs> ask them what tomorrow is or next week or what's a microphone, you know, they're probably, unless they're particularly bright, they're unlikely to do that. They're all social constructs. They're all things that we've kind of create from that uh, cortex part of our mm -hmm. brain. So when we're really little like that, and say, for instance, the world feels dangerous in some way, what we want to do is we want to turn back to a caregiver, hopefully a parent, and we want that parent to care for us through facial expressions and tone of voice. That's the way we pass on threat, remember, in a way that helps this little person, helps this little person to organise their experience and rest their nervous system and basically to have good neural wiring mm. at that point. So the example might be a child who falls over and hurts themselves. The world feels dangerous. They turn back to a parent. Parent's got the right face on, and I'm for all you listeners out there, I'm kind of trying to pull an accurate face here. And, and they are able to say to this child, oh, sweetie, do you need a cuddle? Yeah. And that's going to help this child to relax their nervous system, to re-engage the parts of their brain that helps them feel safe and secure. Yeah. So when a parent's doing that lots and I mean hundreds and hundreds of thousands of times, Gee, yeah. that's all about helping a child to feel safe and secure in the world. Mm -hmm. And that's called secure attachment. And lots of the population have that, about 60% of the population. What can happen though, I mean, I know this in my family, you might know it in yours, is that we um, also have the experience sometimes when we fall over and hurt ourselves and the world feels dangerous and we turn back and I'm pulling a different face now, one that looks like angry. Yes. And we have a parent or a care caregiver go, get up, big children, don't cry. Uh, and, and, and then suddenly for that child, the experience is it's kind of dangerous in the world and it's also dangerous yeah. you know, when it turn back towards the parents. Mm. Yeah, so it's kind of dangerous both ways. Mm. And so what happens for what we've all done is this fundamentally human behavior through an attachment lens. You've done it. I've done it. Your kids are doing it. My kids have done it. All the people in the studio here have done it. Is that we bend out of shape to deal with the fact that it's not safe for us when we turn back mm. to you know a caregiver or a parent. We do that because it's really hard when we're little. We might even be pre-verbal. Remember, we're talking not yeah, to seven yeah. years old mm -hmm. to go, hey guys. Do you mind like caring for me differently? <laughs> and of course, the danger isn't always when we fall over, is it? Like sometimes the danger is in families because mum and dad can't get their shit together. Yeah. Again, heteronormative apologies. So, you know, like whatever that parent structure is, they can't get their shit together because they're like also dysregulated because their parents were dysregulated, yes. whatever, right? So the mm. danger is both ways. And that's when we bend out of shape to deal with the fact that our caregivers can't help us organize our emotions. And there's two things that happen under the research and attachment theory there, or two main ones anyway. 
is that some children, which is like my wife, they will learn to kind of get on their island and to sort things out themselves. They would rather move away from connection because it's safest for them to figure it out in their own way. Mm. That, that style is called avoidant attachment. Mm-hmm. And the other style, which is more like me, <laughs> is that I tend to want to move closer in relationship. I want to talk about stuff. I want to, you know, because for me, there's an anxiety about not being connected. And so that end of the spectrum is anxious attachment style or preoccupied attachment style. So you kind of have three main styles. There is another one, but mm. they don't often turn up in therapy. Um, there's a, the other, um, the three styles are kind of secure attachment style, avoidant attachment style and anxious attachment style. Mm. Now, basically what happens in relationships is that in about eight to nine out of 10 couples I work with, that dance of one person being more anxious Mm -hmm. and one person being more avoidant turns up in the couples I'm working with. (laughs) And what that looks like Mm. is that if I use the example of my wife and I again, I'm kind of going, we need to talk about it. You know, we need to, we need to get closer. And, 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 and so often I'm feeling not important enough. Uh. Yeah. And what the deep wound is, that little boy thing is, you know, usually around some sort of rejection or abandonment. Yeah. And then she's going, oh shit, this is pretty scary and dangerous. I want to get out of here. <laughs> I want to like go and hang out on my island. So yeah. she's sort of going backwards because it's really scary to be invited into yeah. intimacy. And um, because what's happening for her is sometimes or often she's feeling criticized or like she never gets it right. And the deep old wound is often something around self-worth. So you can see when we're fighting about the towel, Mm. you know, I'm going, and you left that towel on the floor again. And she hears you left (laughs) that towel. (laughs) And she just goes, oh, once again, I'm feeling criticized and like I never get it right. I'm out of here. And then her getting out of here thing is then activating my fear around what if she doesn't love me? And I'm going, oh, you're always doing this. And there's the you are always, you know. So that that kind of dynamic is very typical where, you know, even when I'm being highly skillful and going, hey, sweetie, you know, it'd be wonderful if maybe you could just give me a hug. And it's the you bit where she can feel criticized and like she, she might be going, I gave you a hug two days ago. Like how many hugs do you need? <laughs> yeah. Cause for her, that's a massive step into the relationship, yeah. you know, cause she's, it's scary. Right. Yeah. So, uh, that dance turns up all the time. And of course it goes the other way. I'm talking more about, you know, the pursuing anxious person towards the avoidant withdrawing person. But of course it's a chicken and egg. It's, you know, relationships are co-created, the avoidant person, of course, when they're too far back, they're really co-creating that experience for the other partner where their anxiety is coming up. Mm. And so we, we as a couple need to work together. And Sebastian, here's the first test for you today in our interview. What's the world that's going to help us? What's the way that's going to help us to, to do that more? Talk about emotions. Talk about emotions. Dude! <laughs> yeah. Thanks. All right. We nailed it My here homework. in the sauna. <laughs> yeah, talk about emotions, right? Because right? when we're able to talk about our feelings more and, you know, if I can tell my partner, hey, I'm scared, yep. you know, and she's able to say, yeah, look, I'm feeling really overwhelmed. Mm. We're suddenly creating a landscape to see each other without blame, you know, without 
um, criticism and defensiveness, which is the cycle that most often happens for couples in that mm, withdraw mm. pursue. And, and we're able to actually start um, building intimacy to care for each other in something that hurts. You know, the basic humanity of like, you know, I care for you and I can see you're hurting. And then that takes all the story out then. Then we don't have to worry. Usually what happens is when couples are doing that, nine times out of ten, I'm just going to pick the goddamn towel up because I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> because I'm seen around the fact that, hey, I was hurting here or I needed support. You know, so it's more about the fact that I feel connected and cared for by you now, and I'm doing that for you. Usually takes care of the story. Right at that moment, you don't even worry about it anymore. So it's it's just a indicator. It's a trigger to push you towards actually talking about emotions. Then it is really a problem for you. If 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 you are in the right space with your partner at that moment. You wouldn't yeah. even. You would just say, "I love you so much." I picked this up for you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Most most times, what happens is when we're doing, when we feel more of that connection and care. Remember, emotional maintenance happens in collaborative relationships. We're then able to um, create the kind of culture where some of those kind of five reasons we end up fighting take care of themselves. I mean, I know if I'm struggling as a father yeah. and in my parenting and I can rely on my partner to understand what's going on, yeah. not to go, oh, we'll just get over it, will you? Or toughen up buttercup or, huh. you know, whatever. And she can really hear me. I mean, a lot of the time then the issues that I'm facing in my parenting field, they don't matter as much because I know I've got, she's got my back. Right. I'm interested, do you know what you and your partner do? Do you know who the withdrawing partner might be and who the kind of pursuing partner might be i've been thinking about that i think fee is certainly more the withdrawing one but i don't mm. know where i stand because i can sometimes i feel i want to go be, be closer and and, yeah. and get a reassurance and sometimes like it feels easier to actually just go on the island yeah so i know both mechanisms and probably yeah. you were saying you sometimes go through that um you cycle through that um, those three d different types and, and it feels like yeah that's probably what we do as well you yeah. Know, yeah I mean yeah. Lo lots of couples kind of you know uh, end up having lot, all sorts of different dances within their relationship yeah I mean back in the theory it's kind of eight out of ten have a primary dance and sometimes that happens you know couples go well there's sort of one thing that we do more often than the other yes but when in the intimacy of a relationship couples end up having lots of different cycles and dynamics so when what we're fundamentally fundamentally describing here when we're talking about mm. that kind of avoidant and pursue dynamic through that attachment lens is we're talking about couple cycles and dynamics you know when listeners hear oh you know we've got a, a dance or we've got a couple cycle mm. that's usually what we're referring to huh. and yes so couples end up doing a bit of all of them yeah uh, and sometimes they have more of a primary one than 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 another so when you think about you know that's great you know that, uh, it, from a high level point of view it looks like they're just two different issues yeah <laughs> either the partner doesn't want to be there or the other partner wants to, the other one to be more more yeah. there and more, yeah. more in it mm -hmm. um are there also just two recipes to fix that two questions or two scenarios that you have to walk through like are there two main levers or techniques that that you would suggest to explore to yeah. to bring that relationship into this healthy shape yeah yeah it's a great question um 
that in a, in a simplified way there kind of is, huh. uh, but in a more complicated <laughs> way, or in fact, a, a perhaps a, a more frequent way, it's it it takes longer and there's more levers to pull, because you know we're we are we're complex, we're humans, you know, and we feel a lot and we have had lots of experiences, and sometimes pulling one lever might actually open up a box where there's a whole bunch more mm-hmm. that either need to be pulled or need to be caressed in some way. So, <laughs> yeah, so it, the simple version is that knowing our cycles, like, the, you know, it's kind of like considering the meta-emotional world. Like if I know that <clears throat> you're more pursuing mm. and that you can sometimes feel not important mm. and you know that sometimes I can feel like I need space mm. and that sometimes I can feel criticized or overwhelmed, then we have each other's owner's manual a bit. Huh. And we can keep our eye on mm-hmm. the emotional world of each other because sometimes rather than fighting about the towel, you might know that I might need a bit of space before we can talk about that. And you might say, hey, hun, look, you know, something's up for me. Can we talk later? Yeah. You know, and and you might say, and I might say, hey, I really know that you need to talk about this and it's important to you. Let's do that. Or when I come back, I'm really keen to do that. So mm. we, we have a different dialogue. I'm going to cough again, excuse me. Well done. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Good control of the desk. Um, yeah, we have a different dialogue then around, um, uh, around setting up the landscape to create uh, safety Mm. like the attachment safety that we need and that's a really powerful um, alchemy in relationships so lots of the work I do with couples particularly in the early sessions is helping them build a language and and an awareness around that kind of meta-emotional world that drives those cycles Mm. and then the second part the second lever that I would always pull is then building the emotional competence of the couple so i think one of the things that's profoundly important and this is where often other levers start coming up is then helping people to really navigate and understand their own internal emotional world Mm. because when they're doing that they start to then be able to um, find a language for that and express that Mm -hmm. Um, and you know stereotypically in a heterosexual relationship and in Australia, where we're broadcasting from, that's men who can really struggle with that world, you know. They can really struggle with, you know, what are my emotions? How am I as an emotional feeling human? Mm. And how do I express that? And Because, you know, so much of the masculine in Australian culture has been about suppression. Um, you know, that's that classic big boys don't cry. Uh, and so for men in Australia, um, you know, learning that they're an emotional being and seeing the strength in that, like, you know, I'll often say to men, it takes so much of the masculine traits around strength and courage and bravery. And I know women have that as well. Right. Um, but it just in a masculine sense, you know, the warrior to, to actually go into discover more about your emotions. Mm. Rather than it being weak to have emotions, you know, starting to help men to see that it takes courage and strength to have an emotional world is a really, really important uh, experience for men. 
And, uh, and so, yeah, in that heterosexual mm. space uh, in Australia, often supporting men to build emotional competency is a key piece of, is the key lever for them to pull uh, in, in, in kind of supporting functional relationships that include emotions and, and, and the secure attachment stuff that we're talking about. Mm. If you would, if you would rate um, a man just saying words about what they're frustrated about, uh, versus them actually having an emotion about what you know what they don't mm -hmm. like, like you know, what's the ratio of like the strengths of either of them? If if you would give it a number, <laughs> I'm pretty rational there, aren't I? <laughs> but you know, like I, I just I just wonder whether you say that it's a word is like one, an emotion is like as strong as ten or hundred or something like that. Yeah, um, you might have to frame that up in a. In another way, I'm not quite sure. Which oh, way. I mean, like you know, like let's say the the, the the normal way for men to say in a relationship that they are unhappy or that they want to change or that yeah. something is up. Yeah, they would just they do frustration. They but or you know if they, 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 yeah shut down. But you know they might not actually go into a really proper emotion, but instead just yeah. talking about it or murmuring or just sh sort of showing disinterest or just being a little bit disrespectful, whatever. I, I just think like... It sounds so, like you know it well. Yeah, yeah, so, <laughs> sort of like hints and that type of thing, right? Yeah. And then and then on the other side, if if instead they would say, really angry about this or yeah. like, like just totally. full blast being Absolutely. emotional in a moment. Yeah. One is not like the, the the first one that I described is probably not heard at all, or is is not really hitting home. Whereas the second one would, would you say? Yeah, absolutely. And the, there's a couple of really important things you mentioned, mm. and they're helping me to remember to shape up stuff that I've missed from before. So, mm. f let me start back at the beginning, yeah. if you don't mind, no, this no. and throw some theory at you. The okay. bit that I didn't uh, mention before is that we have these primary emotions, and then we have secondary emotions. So secondary emotions are all the kind of emotions we build up around the primary ones to protect ourselves from them. Because remember that example I gave when we're really little mm. and we hope that a caregiver helps us feel kind of uh, well and safe and secure in mm. our emotions. When they're not doing that, like, hey, big children don't cry, um, we have to learn a whole bunch of other emotions to kind of protect ourselves from it. So the classic example is that when we're feeling angry or frustrated, it's usually the flip side of sadness and fear. So often what's going on in those secondary emotional worlds leading into the example that you spoke about is that men, uh, just keeping it in the male funnel, yeah. um, men might do secondary emotions around, oh, I'm, you know, I'm frustrated and yeah. you know, I'm really pissed off or whatever. But underneath that, is something where they feel afraid that maybe, who knows, maybe they won't be loved, maybe they're not going to be, get the support they need, you know, maybe they won't be seen or understood, um, you know, maybe they're going to feel dismissed by their partner. Um, and so it's easier for them to either huff and puff about it uh, or to shut down and not say anything. And that's a very common presentation in my couple's work mm. is that, the, you know, in a stereotypical way, men are actually using frustration as an expression of their fear and sadness uh, or they're using shutting down not talking about anything as a way of you know kind of protecting themselves from more vulnerable emotions and what's so profound in this work is that when men can drop into that space 
and I see it time and time and time and time again, is that when they do it, their partner always wants to reach out and just be there with them, you know? Mm. It's such a beautiful experience to see the thing that they've most wanted, which is some sort of affirmation or care or looking after or being seen, happens in the emotional world. It mm. doesn't happen in the, you know, being being a big bear and, and or shutting down, you know? <laughs> yeah. Right. So, and of course, you know, for men in Australia and perhaps around the world, this idea that, you know, having emotions is weak is such an old such an old paradigm mm. for me, you know. Um, and um, I think one of the big levers uh, in my work is supporting men to um, find more resources to express that. Um, and so one of the ways that I will work with men is somatically is actually getting them, you know, I was working with a couple yesterday. I do an exercise where I support them to kind of use their bodies to create structures and shapes about what things are like when stuff's going down oh, wow. and amazing how that provides a whole different language for for, for the partner if i yeah. just go back to a generic sense to the partner who perhaps doesn't like using many words around their feelings because suddenly they've got their bodies as a resource and a tool to start showing their partner through different structures or different shapes that they've got stuff happening mm. and when we also as a team support you know, the couple support each other to know what structure or shape they like that helps them feel cared for. Might be a particular touch or a way of being held. They've then also got more resources to to look out for each other mm. and do that secure attachment stuff. Again, not having to use words at all. You know, so this couple that I'm thinking of, uh, you know, maybe I won't use them, I'll just use another example. One One partner might be pulling their hair out, but what they really need is a hug. And so they can start using that as a resource where the partner could, hey, honey, I've got this going on. And the other partner might go, yeah, you know what, I'm, right now I feel like I can hold you and I will. Mm -hmm. And that can just help dampen that whole conflict cycle with very few words being needed. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. so helping that emotional well come through bodies and shapes and movement and breathing and eye gazing, it's, yeah. it, it becomes then a very rich... Uh, I've used this word a bit, but a rich landscape for connection. Yeah, right. So I guess, you know, beside, I think, you know, everyone should, should have a couple of sessions with you and great, great <laughs> you know, you do it online as well. So, you know, you're not bound by the, the Byron Bay region to Correct. do that. And yeah. I think that's really good. All of these different tools that they would learn in such a session or yeah. a few sessions are probably really powerful. Uh -huh. But if you could name a few that are easy to grasp, um, what would there be? Just, you know, let's think about whatever the partner's yeah. type is, whether it's the one that um, retracts, uh, yeah. you know, that's why the avoiding one. Yeah. If that one wants to open, uh, wants to somehow merge with its partner that it's looking for something, yeah. um, is there a particular language in yeah. for that? I, I remember yeah. I learned something years ago. Um, you know, I love you very much is sometimes something that I say before I say something that that might be seen as criticism. Yeah. 
but you know in my mind it needs to be said or whatever and and it works so good and it yeah. definitely works for me if someone says like look i love you very much or this was really good work on this project yeah so you like the, the kind of acknowledgements and the words of affirmation really help for you, yeah? It's a, tro a Trojan horse in a sense, in a, in a really good way. It's just that, yeah. you know, like I just put you in an in a emotional stable stage yeah. before I do something that is not meant to throw you off, but it could because it is some sort of, it could be seen as criticism or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Do you have some of those tools or oh, tricks? Yeah. yeah. How many do you need? <laughs> just a few that... or chronological <laughs> or... <laughs> um, yeah, look, uh, I, I think the main thing for couples is um, name your cycle, you know, like know you've got a dance going on, mm. just know it like, and start looking for it and you'll know it because you'll feel it in your bodies and you go, oh, we're doing that thing again where we end up, you know, fighting or disconnected and actually naming it, you know, some, I have couples who, um, you know, call it roundabout, highway to hell, I don't know, bananas, whatever. Yeah. Like just give it a name and you can have some fun with that then. But the, the idea behind it really is just have a circuit breaker and stop doing it because, you know, the, the research shows that about 93% couples will separate if they just get caught in those cycles and don't do anything about it. Now, it might be a long, slow burn, right? Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's dangerous. So we want to support couples to pause and stop yeah, and, and re realize that they don't need to solve, they don't need to win there. This isn't about trying to win the story, the, the argument around mm. the story. This is about humanity and finding a way to have someone that you can depend on when you've got emotions that are around. So naming the cycle and pausing it is number one. Number two is do something radical there. Like there's um, four or five basic reflexes that help our brain feel safe okay. and you think about these when you think about your little ones mm. um, and and what reflexes they need to survive they need breathing yeah. <sighs> mm. and we know through eastern philosophies and western psychology that breathing's damn good for staying mm. alive mm. and also <laughs> for settling your nervous system <laughs> we also know that touch is really important and so if you can touch my finger, Sebastian and I are just touching fingers now. Mm. And what's the next thing that happened? No talk in the mind, no chatter? No chatter. Oh, oh and, and looking at and each other. And we looked at each yeah, other yeah, and yeah. we eye gazed, mm. right? So touch is really important and eye gazing is really important. Mm. And so um, I'm going to cough again, excuse me. Thank you. Um, <laughs> so touching and uh, eye gazing and breathing three really simple ways for couples to just come back into a sense of safety and connection with each other oh. yeah and so you're naming the cycle you're pausing that that thing that you do just like what, what would if, if, if we would be in a relationship of some sort like you know it, because it. I you think are what, a very handsome man thanks so yeah. are you thank you um honey voice as well <laughs> love it but you know a relationship is anything that has a relationship like I, i'm yeah. thinking also while you talk a lot about my business relationship because yeah. we have cycles but overall like we, we just know how to really manage our relationship yeah. well and it's it's a very joyous relationship uh -huh. and then with all you know all, all your friends yeah all of those are relationships to a different degree of course but Correct. like overall what do you what do you mean by a cycle exactly like is it like hey some the shit is going down is that sort of what you mean by cycle or is it actually more specific and say i see that i'm retract and i see that you yeah. want more is that as, as 
yeah, specific so, as that. Yeah, yeah, so definitely what the funnel I'm looking through is in intimate adult love relationships. Okay. And the reason is, is the emotional bids are higher in those relationships. Mm-hmm. Like in work relationships, we don't have to go to bed with them. Well, sometimes we do, but mm. generally we don't have to go to bed with anyone. Mm. And, and, and you know, so we can walk away or we can kind of bracket or we can we play a role in the workplace, which is different to how we might... Uh, want to be in our intimate adult love relationship Mm -hmm. and so the emotional bids are higher we're actually asking our partner can you really see me and be with me you know and 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 can i do that with you over well what we're asking for in western culture is a long-term enduring time you know used to be till death do us part but we live for a long time now um, so, oh. so just a long time, you know, like it, the enduring long-term relationship, whatever that ends up being. Yeah. So the, the bids are different. And so the funnel I'm definitely looking into when I talk about couple cycles is the cycle around that avoidant um, and pursue dynamic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and those ideas around interrupting the cycle and using touch as a way of just kind of building some safe ground together. And then trying again. In other words, coming back to what they were talking about, but hopefully using more because they've settled their emotional worlds and had some good contact. Um, They're able to then talk about whatever the issue is or the Mm. thing that they're hoping to resolve. And of course, my hope would be there that they're able to use more emotional language. So they're kind of three really simple, hmm, perhaps not simple, they're three important uh, tools that couples can do straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> there's a whole bunch of things that in the in the communication world, like communication strategies and you know setting up good contracts around how couples talk and things like that. But you know, I, I think it all starts when couples get their head around actually realizing that they've got a dance going on yep. and starting to do something about that. Mm. The fourth thing that I would suggest for couples is that they have some time out when they need it. It takes about 20 minutes to regulate yourself. I mean, for some people it can take longer and usually that's because of a trauma history. But generally speaking, it takes about 20 minutes to just ah, breathe and and rest. So when sometimes maybe if we did that touch exercise again and and it was just a bit too late, we'd already gone down the, the pathway of you know, being in conflict or, or disconnection in some way, mm. you know, the advice I'd give is take 20 minutes out. Don't take that 20 minutes to then think about how you're going to come back and tell your partner what a dickhead they've been. <laughs> Use that 20 minutes to really regulate and you know, to think about how you've contributed, to think about how you're feeling. And then when you come back again, you'll have hopefully new information that will support you to connect and care for each other and uh, you know, look after each other's emotions and then you can try and work out who should pick the towel up. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, that, it's that idea of always coming back to looking after the emotional world yeah. and knowing that you've got your partner to be available and responsive and engaged and protective and caring for you mm. and then you'll figure out how to do all, solve all the problems, I yeah. guess. What I hear you saying as well is that you need space and time for for maintaining a good relationship and 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 i think modern lifestyle and that's what this podcast is really about you know like what are the what are the tricks what what, what's what's the trick to have a healthy healthy life and and 
it sounds like if you want to have a healthy relationship which is the base of of many people's life like you know it's yeah. so important you actually have to give it that space so i, I know my relationship we have um we've date nights you know yep. i've i've dates with myself as well you know <laughs> on top <laughs> of that you know which I've, we also need yeah. yeah i've heard the music blaring when you know, you're having those lovely nights by yourself <laughs> <laughs> there you go actually yeah. oh yeah you're right and and then you know we also celebrate together with a lot of music sometimes with the kids actually yeah as well but yes exactly and 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 that's I, i'm just realizing because everyone is so busy yeah and, and you know i'd include myself there it's easy to take things for granted yeah. to um say oh we do this next week and so on and yeah. um before you know it it's um yeah there's a lot of work to be done heaps of work and and we don't want it to get that far or if it is that far um obviously again becoming kind of very conscious around mm. what we're doing as a couple's uh, important and uh, there's two suggestions i have here mm. uh, one is that um even in a very busy life, prioritizing your relationship, even for 30 minutes, one night a week. You know, if you can do two nights a week, good for you. If you can have a date night, you're on top shelf. You, know? you, don't, you don't mean watching so, a movie though, right? I do you, not you, mean what, that. what would you suggest to do in these 30 well, minutes? there's so many things. I think mm. it's, I mean, that's the, I'm not the expert in, mm. in my, uh, you know, the clients that I work with. I'm not mm. the expert in their relationship. Mm. But, uh, I've got some good theory. Yeah. And, and so really it's up to them but some common ideas or suggestions that couples tell me is that they might spend 30 minutes meditating together mm. or they might spend 30 minutes holding each other or if they have a rich kind of sexual life they might make love for 30 mm. minutes mm. that'd be nice um, <laughs> you know they might make love uh, they might talk and they might use that 30 minutes to practice the toing and froing around mm. all those ideas mm. that we've talked about. Maybe they might use it as a way of, I have a couple that I've worked with who now spend time just talking about what they're noticing in their bodies. So just being able to go, yeah, as I sit with you, I notice mm -hmm. my heart fluttering, you know, just coming back to a very somatic experience together that has no blame or no story, just two human beings experiencing each other. But Lots of couples also just put, you know, great ideas like favorite holiday, you know, best sex, you know, what mm. do you want to do for the next 20 years of your life, whatever, into a hat and pull out random subjects and just use that as the canvas for how they might spend that time together talking. Oh, um, a game. Yeah. Yeah, like a game, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and, so and, and uh, but the point is about, like you said, Sebastian, it's the intent. And so really intentionally coming together into that space. And I think what that gives couples is it lets them uh, realize that they don't have to aim for the... So many couples going, oh, we, if only we could have the date night, if only we could have the weekend away. And, you know, in our busy lives and particularly parents of young children, it's really hard to do that. Mm. So just grabbing that 30 minutes one night a week is, is profoundly important. And the second thing I would suggest is building in those intentional... Um, contact points you know with your partner and mostly that's around transitions you know like instead of I mean uh, in a stereotypical heteronormative relationship where the male is at work and the female is at home uh, with children perhaps uh, when one partner's leaving um, that partner or both partners spending a bit of extra time in the transition before leaving where they're eye gazing, where they're touching, where they're affirming the relationship, mm -hmm. where they're affirming each other. It doesn't have to be 10 minutes. It could just be an extra 30 seconds. And same when you come home. Mm. 
just spending that extra time making that contact, how you wake up in the morning together, how you go to bed together or not, even if it's just that you're doing it at different times, it's still that transition. They're those sweet moments of affirming that I'm here, that I've got you, that I care, that I'm going to check in with you, that I'm interested, that I'm curious. You know, they're the space for building novelty, for building adventure, you know, for building more. You know, uh, we are sharing this experience right now and Mm. I'm going to turn up for you. And I love those. Like, I love helping couples build those moments because sometimes I think couples think they have to kind of do all this really, you know, big, huge changes. Mm. Mm. And it's scary and hard because it might feel like they've got to change their whole life. And they don't. It's grabbing those small moments to turn up for each other that are, are really profound. Yeah. Just to really hit home that importance of all the things that you've been saying. Yeah. What's what's the statistic of how many couples actually split up before they die, sort of thing, <laughs> you know, or within yeah. a time, time frame? Yeah. And um, what would you say is the most important thing? And I, I think you said it, but, you know, yeah. just, just to reaffirm it, what's the most important thing to do to avoid that if people, you know, want to stay in the relationship? Yeah. St- yeah. Um, so uh, the stats are still around about 50%. It has been a little while since I've had a look yeah. for, you know, first time long-term enduring Mm -hmm. relationships um and 75 percent for second marriages or long-term enduring relationships um so pretty high yeah pretty high level stats that's australia is it so uh yep oh right yeah Yeah. and um that's uh you know but we i mean for me i think we live longer and I, i think that's a really important thing is that you know Till death to us part might have only been 10 years, mm. 100 years mm. ago. Um, so I think there's a reason sometimes that we have those high divorce rates. However, I still think that culturally we're very driven towards wanting uh, long-term enduring mm. relationships because they help us feel good and they help us to live longer um, and have been around in our uh, species for a long time. Um, and so the key... Uh, for me is recognizing the dance and absolutely understanding with your partner that you're co-creating this experience and that uh, when you have that understanding you can start to build more emotional um, care Hmm. and protection and those two things together uh, fundamental to the relationships that last a long time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, Does cool. that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I Thanks do want that. to say one thing that yeah. just came up for me, um, and apologies for not mentioning this earlier. All of this, and absolutely all of this, is not relevant in violence where there's relationships in violence. And absolutely, that is a gender issue. I mean, it's men who are, are causing violence in relationships. Um, you know, there's still dialogue that, you know, women do that too. And, you know, I just don't think so. I just think that this is a gender issue and men, you know, and, and this doesn't, this doesn't count, you know, because men can hear this sometimes if they're using violence and strategies like that in relationship and go, well, you see, it's co-created. 
there's a reason I do this. You piss me off or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this doesn't count for those kinds of relationships. Hey, thanks for sharing that. I actually have three three questions that I ask every every guest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I feel like we could dive so much deeper. Hey? Yeah, that's that's a massive field, and and yeah. it's so relatable because everyone is in relationship in one way or another. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's beautiful. It's yeah. yeah, it's amazing stuff. Very powerful. Thanks, thanks for for all the tips. Like I certainly bring, take that home. That's for sure. So welcome. Yeah, I realize that you know I've spoken a lot, so I hope that no, uh, I hope for your listeners it's something That's good. that makes sense to yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I prefer it that way because you know you are the one with the knowledge. Uh huh. Thank <laughs> and, you. And I think you made it really relevant for the listeners as well. Yeah. So it's great. Cool. Great. Last three questions that yeah. we ask. Uh, one is, what gets you up every morning? out of bed like what is it that drives you (laughs) (laughs) that's a great question um sebastian i just have a love of being alive in this fleshy body right Mm -hmm. now you Mm. know i've I've done a lot of hard work on myself to understand uh, how i want to be as a man in the world and i think it's that that excites me when i wake up and uh you know connect either with myself or with my wife and my children or uh, get out into the world um, you know, we live in an incredible spot here and, uh, and getting down and having a surf, uh, being in nature in some way, they're, they're the kinds of things that really excite me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so much of that has come through the work I've done on myself. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like that's, uh, that's the key for me that helps me get up and, and feel like I just want to be uh, alive and awake in the world. Awesome. Yeah. In the yeah. flow. Love it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> And um, right now, what, what what is the one thing you're really interested in? Like, what, what at the moment are you focusing on or, yeah. I don't know, doing with it? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, I've started a new venture this year. I've opened up a, a relationship clinic in uh, Mullum, the beautiful little township of Mullumbimby. <laughs> and uh, so that's, a, that's, a, that's taking up a lot of my focus. Mm. And that comes with a, a real a contrast of, um, you know, feeling very excited about what we're creating and also uh, feeling, you know, pretty overwhelmed with what we're creating, um, and uh, and yeah, so all of a lot of my attention is going towards um, the clinic and the space we're creating and the amazing amazing people that we have working from there to support uh, relationships right across the spectrum. Cool. Yeah, exactly. Right across the spec- uh, spectrum, and actually, we will work. Uh, our team works with you as as well and you know i really love that that's happening because yeah. i feel um there's so much for business as well you know it's not at anything that's a relationship yeah. yeah so if people want to find you and and as i mentioned before people can connect with you also online and have consultations Correct. online which i mentioned i've, I've done all my life and and yeah. they're absolutely great and sometimes even better because you know you, you can there's more flexibility, you know. You can travel and still have your check-in session with your with your counselor, yeah. with your with your therapist. Yeah. So, how would people find you? Uh, well, the easiest way is just online, of mm. course, and and finding my website. Mm. Um, so, all the W's, Sean Tone, uh, which is an interesting spelling, but I'm sure people will figure it out. dot com. dot au mm-hmm. for my website mm-hmm. and there's one for the practice as well yeah. which is uh, thriveclinic.com.au oh, great, uh, that's still uh, uh, still under construction but we'll yeah. be there in the next few weeks Brilliant. so a um, couple of ways that you can really connect in with me yeah awesome yeah. oh thanks for that yeah. I have one more question yeah um, what's your take of why we exist and why we're here oh my god how long do you need <laughs> <laughs> I don't know 
That might be um, a short answer. Well, I think that, I mean, it's an amazing book by uh, a, by a guy called Brian Swim or Swim. I'm not sure how mm-hmm. you pronounce it. It's S-W-I-M-M-E. It's a beautiful book and it's called The Creative Journey of the Universe. And I feel like for me that uh, sums up my uh, philosophy around our existence, which is that we are, as a species, just part of that creative expression of the universe. And, uh, you know, what we're doing as a species is, uh, however long we end up um, inhabiting this planet or not, is just actually helping that creative process, the expansion and the evolution and the journey of the, of this incredible thing that we're existing in that's been around for, what, 14 billion years. Mm, um, decent time. Yeah, right. And so mm. uh, I think at the core, deep core level, when I really tap into... The, the existence of us in a much bigger playing field than just uh, you know going to work and being on this yeah. little rock. That's what really resonates for me. Yeah. Just out of interest, do you believe that your consciousness continues and just you know recycles into existence? Yeah. I. I you know. I. I guess I just don't know. I mean, I, I think my ego really wants to believe that. Yeah. Because when I ta- when I better. when I tap into. <laughs> When I tap into death, yeah. I fucking get so scared, you know, yeah. like just the idea of actually dying and going, oh my God, like what the hell happens? And when I tap into my faith and I tap into, you know, an existential experience, I have more calm and peace. Yeah. And I'd love to imagine that there's a part of me because of, you know, my ego that will exist beyond this. And there's a part of me that knows that whatever it is, it's returning to the mother and I'll be okay, mm-hmm. yeah. or mm-hmm. whatever it is, we'll be okay. I'll be part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, thanks for sharing. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on yeah. board. Awesome, so yeah. cool to have you. I hope you come again. Yeah, man, so. I'd love to. Yeah, yeah. cool. I can yeah, chat for hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think there's so much value in it, and and it's a, it's an area of health that people sometimes really overlook as being you know important for for their well-being and their oh, longevity and all of it. Totally right. Yeah, yeah. cool. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks. Thank you so much. Cheers, bud. (laughs) Guys, thank you so much for listening to The Sauna Show. My name is Sebastian Mirau, and this episode was sponsored by Clearlight Jacuzzi Saunas, the world's leading provider of superior quality, full-spectrum infrared saunas. You can find more information and resources for this podcast at thesaunashow.com, all one word, or on Instagram at thesaunashow. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and share this episode with friends. Until next time, have the best day ever.